For Thursday, April 1st, 2021, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, researchers at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have found the COVID-19 vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna are effective at preventing coronavirus infection even outside of clinical trials. We're incredibly relieved to see this same very high level of protection out in the real world. Mark Thompson, an epidemiologist with the CDC, joins me to discuss his recent report looking at the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Researchers at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have found that the COVID-19 vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna are effective at preventing coronavirus infection in real-world conditions. That's good news, says the CDC's Mark Thompson, because it's not always guaranteed that a drug that performs well in clinical trials does so under less controlled conditions. He's with me now for more on his recent study looking at the mRNA vaccines. Mark, thanks for talking with me. And let's start here. So before we get into uh, talking about what you actually found with this recent MMWR, I'm hoping you can tell me about the value of this kind of study where you look at a drug that at this point has been authorized, it's gone through clinical trials, and you're actually looking to see how this works in the real world. Talk to me about the value of doing that kind of work. So the gold standard of evaluating these vaccines are these randomized trials that happen, the phase three trials for these vaccines. They have huge numbers, you know, tens of thousands of people. They follow them for a period of time. These have been very unique because they happen very quickly, in part because there was a lot of virus circulating. But the real, often the real test of this is how they perform in the real world. And so I think to understand our study, you have to go back late fall and remember when those early phase three results came out. And the really good news about these messenger RNA vaccines where they were, you know, 90, over 90 percent effective in preventing symptomatic COVID-19. So there was in no way any guarantee that that was how they were going to perform in the real world. There's at least a couple of reasons for that. So one is especially the Pfizer product, it's very demanding 
and its requirement for how it's handled. It has temperature monitoring requirements, you know, has to be maintained at a sub-zero level. Once a vaccine uh, packet is removed out of that environment, it has a limited amount of time until it has to be used. Moderna is a little less demanding, but still very demanding as vaccines go. And you have to have two doses, which, you know, there really isn't a, much of a precedent in that among adults uh, in terms of widely used vaccine. So the administration of them, how this was going to work once you got outside of these trials was, was largely unknown. And then the other part was how would it perform in particular groups of people where you want the vaccine to work really, really well. And so in particular, healthcare personnel, but also first responders, firefighters, police officers, and then all these other groups, teachers, uh, restaurant workers, delivery folks who are on the front line and have increased risk of exposure to the disease because of what they do. How would it work with them? So that's the starting point for, for our cohorts. What did this study actually do with regards to monitoring these different cohorts? Just talk to me a little bit more about the methodology here. So this is actually a network of multiple cohorts that share a same methodology. This is in eight locations across the U.S. All of them include some combination of healthcare personnel, first responders, other frontline workers. And the people who come into the study agree to collect a swab uh, to test themselves uh, for the virus that caused COVID-19 every single week, regardless of their symptoms. So some people are assigned Tuesdays, and if you're a Tuesday person, you collect a swab, put it in a complicated set of packet, put it in a FedEx or UPS box, and it's shipped overnight to be tested. You also, every week, are asked about whether you have symptoms that are consistent with COVID-19 and are asked if you do feel ill. And between those questions, you report them directly. And so anytime anybody has any of those symptoms then you're asked to do uh, additional uh, specimens. So in addition to the nasal swab this time, you also have to put saliva in a tube and send that. And so pretty demanding as studies go, and people have been doing this since last fall. And then these are individuals who, over the course of this study, were actually in the process of, of getting vaccinated. Right. And so going into December, we had about 5,000 people across these eight locations who have now been doing this for a while. And the vaccines became widely available in these sites in mid-December. And so that starts the clock for this particular evaluation and the, what ultimately was a 13-week period that we monitored these folks. What did y'all find if you're tracking infections in this highly exposed population as they're getting vaccinated. So let me add one point that, so of that 5,000, about 1,000 had already been infected at that point. And we were still following them because we were keeping people and monitoring them to see if they get reinfected or how the antibodies change over time. So to start the clock in mid-December, we had narrowed it down to 3,950 adults who, to our knowledge, had not been infected Four. And so what we found following them over 13 weeks and monitoring when they got their doses of either the Pfizer or the Moderna messenger RNA vaccines is that 14 days after people had two doses of the vaccine, 
their risk of being infected with the virus that causes COVID-19 reduced by 90%. And even after one dose, two weeks after one dose, they'd reduced their risk by 80%. Were these results surprising to you? They made a little bit of a splash when they came out this week, but what was your reaction to them? So my day job is been doing it for the past 10 years is evaluating the influence of vaccine. So I think in way of context, let me tell you that what you see in the, the regular real world performance of the flu vaccine is not consistent always with what you see in the randomized trials. And so I've learned from painful experience to lower my expectations about how vaccines in the real world perform. So I wouldn't say surprised, but I think myself and the other lead investigators, most of whom are clinicians, were incredibly relieved to see this same very high level of protection out in the real world. And in our study, the outcome was infection regardless of symptoms. And so the trials focused on symptomatic illness. So when somebody became sick, they, they collected a swab. Here, remember, they're collecting a swab every week regardless of how they're feeling. And so to, to show that it's preventing infection, whether they're symptomatic or not, or several days before they get symptomatic is, is really good news because these are exactly the people we want not to get infected and to go to work while they're infected and don't know it yet. I feel like we are starting to see, and you can set me straight, more studies along these lines, looking at these two mRNA vaccines in the real world and showing that they are effective there. I feel like there was a study out of Israel not too long ago that had similar results to y'all's. Right. So two studies come to mind. So the Israel one looked at healthcare personnel and they basically pulled their medical records and their employee records and, and just look to see, well, how many have tested positive by folks, depending upon whether they had been vaccinated or not. So very useful. We do studies like that at the CDC. Our study is actually more like a study in the United Kingdom that's also a prospective study that follows healthcare personnel, and they also do routine testing. Now, they had, uh, the point when they had published their early results, had only had results for partial vaccination, so only looking at the protection provided by one dose. And they had found it was roughly 70% protective. We found it was roughly 80%, so largely consistent. And the two studies, I think, are are very comparable. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead, talking today with Mark Thompson, an epidemiologist at the CDC. We're discussing his recent report looking at mRNA COVID vaccines in the real world. Thinking about the time period in which these individuals were tested, this was as new variants of the virus that causes COVID-19 were in the country, were, were spreading. So can we assume then that these two mRNA vaccines are somewhat effective against variants? Is, is that kind of what this study shows us? So, so far, we can say this protection was against the circulating viruses in these six different states during this time period. So we're at the CDC in the process of genetically sequencing the viruses, which that's going to tell us uh, how many variants we have. And hopefully within the coming weeks or a month, be able to update this report um, by 
how many variants we found among those who were unvaccinated uh, and infected, and what the genetic uh, characteristics of the viruses uh, were for those who had an infection despite being vaccinated. Tell me what this study shows us about whether or not vaccinated people are actually transmitting uh, the virus that causes COVID-19. So of the 200 plus uh, infections we detected during this 13-week period, so over half of them we detected from these routine weekly swabs. And so what that tells us is that a lot of these infections are occurring for days or more before um, they know they're sick or before they're ever sick since, you know, at least one in 10 of them never developed symptoms and wouldn't have known that they were infected. So when we detect uh, uh, an infection, sort of by definition, they are shedding virus that is, you know, transmissible, it's detectable. So when we talk about we're, we're reducing the risk by 90% of being infected, we're reducing how often that happens where somebody's walking around, going to work. These are all people who have very close contact with others as a regular part of their job. So we're preventing, at least for half of them, them spending days out in the world where they are shedding virus that can potentially be transmitted to others. And and Mark, you know, I know that every study, there are things you wish could have gone better, more work that you feel needs to be done here. Talk to me a little about that. I mean, what are some of the limitations of this work and maybe where, where do you hope this work goes next? Well, so there's still a lot to come from this. So this is intentionally an interim report. This, I mean, this is people's taxpayer dollars paying for this this work. And so it's important, we thought it was important to share with the public as soon as we could what we're seeing. And the fact that it is encouraging news and that it should encourage folks that might have questions about it to to go get vaccinated with any available COVID-19 vaccine. So, but as we have more time, we can look first at this the genetics of the viruses that we're seeing and to see if what the types of viruses are that are having these breakthrough infections. When somebody gets vaccinated, has immunity, uh, what are, are there different viruses that are slipping through? So that's one big question. And then we're really interested in this issue of attenuation of infection. And so what you were talking about a minute ago around well, gosh, do they shed less virus? So if you have a breakthrough infection, but you were vaccinated, are you less sick? Do you spend fewer days having a virus that's detectable and perhaps uh, spreadable to other people? So as you know, in the next weeks and months, I think we'll have the data to answer that question too. I'm also wondering about the durability of antibody protection. Was that something that you looked at here? Can we even know that now? Because people haven't been getting vaccinated for a very long time. So certainly early days, but the Heroes Recover Network all collect blood. So we collected blood when they joined the study. We've been collecting it every three months. And then they collected blood um, right after each of the doses of the vaccine. So over time, we'll be able to look at, at that. We can already look at the natural infection antibodies and how they wane over time. We started by talking about kind of the value of studies like this. And you mentioned something which I think to a casual listener might be kind of surprising. There was so much attention 
when we got the clinical trial data of these two mRNA vaccines on just how effective they were shown to be in these trials. And, you know, I think a lot of people were walking around thinking, oh, well, these two vaccines did so well in trials. That's necessarily how well they're going to do in the real world. I would wonder if people hear our conversation and think, well, maybe I shouldn't have trusted those numbers that the media and I think even, you know, rightly public health officials paid so much attention to. Well, these randomized placebo trials are, they're the gold standard. By far, we should trust those. That's what the FDA uses um, to decide what is an authorized vaccine. That's what the advisory committee to CDC looks, looks at. But it's sort of a different question of in the real world, you know, once Vaccines are in lots of different settings, in and out of refrigerators, uh, being administered to people with very uh, diverse backgrounds with a wide variety of underlying health. And then I think most importantly, really big differences in their, their activities and their, their exposure to virus. And so for some vaccines, you get a somewhat different answer depending upon just how much virus they're exposed to, uh, you know, sort of fighting against a wave of uh, coming at you and how well is that vaccine against battling that wave. And so to have this perform really well at the same, you know, very similar to the same level in a population of folks that are really on the front line being exposed to this virus every day is very reassuring compared to the tens of thousands of people that, you know, by definition, were intentionally a much more general population group of folks. And, and I'm wondering if you can put kind of this reassuring news in the current context of the pandemic. Just as someone who's, who's done this work, I mean, how do you think about where we are right now with the pandemic? Well, we're, we're lucky to have good vaccines, right? I, I was mentioning that I do most of my work with the influenza vaccine and you know, year to year, its effectiveness is between 40 and 60 percent, which, you know, given year, you talk about reduce my risk of having influenza by half. Well, that's a good thing. Right. And lots of us get the flu vaccine knowing that here you have a vaccine that's 90 percent effective against a more contagious and potentially more life threatening disease. So I think for anybody out there who took the time to get an influenza vaccine, you should definitely get a COVID vaccine. They both have very good safety profiles and the COVID vaccine has very enviable effectiveness. And certainly the most important thing people can do right now is make a plan for getting vaccinated and get vaccinated. In the meantime, do all the other things we've been told to do to protect our ourselves and others. Mark Thompson is an epidemiologist with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's where you can also leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. 
If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.